1: 59 of the barcelona podcast brought to you by the blue wire podcast network i'm dan hilton and i am talking to the man that watched both of these matches with me yesterday on barcelona's twitch stream it's omar hawash of Blood fame i mean we talked to each other about 18 to 20 hours ago but uh, how have you been enjoying the feminine celebrations omar
2: it's been it's been amazing uh you know i'm still i'm still on a high uh because it's yeah it's just such an astounding achievement and uh they fully, de- they fully deserved it. I mean, you look at how they were playing yesterday. It was, it was beautiful to watch and uh, they fully deserve the celebrations.
1: Yeah, well, to set the scene, yesterday, Barca B was unfortunately eliminated in the semi-final of the promotion playoffs. We're gonna talk about them with our good friend, Navid in the coming weeks on a later date, maybe even next week. And we're gonna get into the Barca B Academy, all that stuff shortly. The men also played yesterday, that being the first team, losing 2-1 to Celta de Vigo. We'll talk about them and Ronald Kumin at the end of the show. But the headline here, the reason you I hope you listened to this pod, the reason why you downloaded and the cover art, everything should be surrounding and everything around FC Barcelona should be surrounding around this feminine four nothing domination of the Chelsea women. And, you know, Omar, I did rewatch it, Uh, you know, my style, that's how I do it. So in the rewatch, I I don't think yesterday on the Twitch stream, we gave enough praise to Jenny Hermoso playing that false nine role. And then the other things that stand out to me are some of the things we spoke about yesterday. The counter press marking Fran Kirby out of the game. Chelsea's fullback struggling, right? I think it comes down to basically those four things, the movement in Barcelona. And I know we're going to talk about individual performances, but as a team, I think those are the keys as to how the Femini completely dominated Chelsea women from the first 40 seconds of this game.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at how they approached the game and Barca Femini came out to play. They didn't come out to just probe uh, Chelsea because as we've seen with, with some games, maybe not for the Femini as much, but maybe for the men's team as well, and also just other clubs, when, when two big clubs go head-to-head, usually at first, at times, it can be a cagey affair. But what we saw from Barca Femini yesterday was a very heated start in, the, in a good way. They came out the first 40 seconds and just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And they, uh, they forced loopholes to get uh, to get that own goal. So, yeah, I mean, a great start from, from Barca Femini. And, and I think the most impressive part about that is that they did not let up their press during those 90 minutes. And even though sometimes they might have let their foot off the gas a little bit in terms of the actual active press, they were still cutting off the passing lanes, still making sure that they were forcing them to the side that they wanted Chelsea to come from so they could close them down in time. And uh, as, I mean, we'll talk about this as well, but uh, I think Kira Hamraoui was key to that as well.
1: Yeah, I do have some of the stuff on Hamraoui, of course. And I also want to set the scene about how monumental this first Champions League victory was for the Femini. The women first played for Barcelona back in the 1970s. They weren't really recognized by the club. And obviously, uh, the, the difficulties that, that women had to get themselves noticed in athletics, uh, certainly in Spain in the early 70s, wasn't great. So they were not recognized by the club that at still at that time in the early 70s was called CF Barcelona. As they had to change their name before, they were able to retake their Catalan identity back. But the Femini, as we know it, weren't founded until 1988. That was the first time where you're really tracking what this squad and what is the iteration and the forefathers of the four women of that squad were. They were up and down in Spain, getting uh, relegated in 2007. Believe it or not, a Barca team was relegated back in 2007. They came back the very next year, and then they won the first Primera Division, their first Primera Division trophy in 2012. Since then, it's been six total league titles five more Copa del Reynas to add to the 1994 and 2011 wins. And they've also won the Supercopa once last year in 2020 and the Copa Catalunya on 10 occasions. The first time they made the Champions League was the 2013-14 season. 2017, as we've talked about plenty, it was a trip to the semis where they lost to Wolfsburg. Then in 2019, the final against Lyon. And then finally, the win. And another stat I found that kind of explains to you, Omar, that this was always building in a positive direction. Of the 25 players in the squad yesterday, 20 are Spanish and nine came from the Masia. So I think it's indicative of this project really beginning and ending with the investment that FC Barcelona has put in that feminine program and the way they've been able to add talent and stars as they've gone along in this process.
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at how, and you just, again, I said this plenty yesterday on the stream, but... There is this sense of unity, this, and you can see it in the celebrations as well. It, it's a family. It's it's a project that's been built for a while. It's a project that's been through up and, ups and downs. It's a project that Luis Cortes is, is taken by the scruff of its neck and really built and shaped the way he wanted to and the way he saw fit. And when you look at the players, both the ones that were on the bench, the ones that played and the ones that didn't play, there is this, this you know, you could really tell that this how much that moment meant winning, winning this Champions League trophy and also, it shows how much Barca actually have put into this uh, for for so long. I mean, you know, both being in the Primera and then being out and then coming back, and all that takes a lot of perseverance from the team, from the staff, from the club, and it paid off last night. It paid off, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's fully deserved. I mean, you can't really can't really say anything wrong with it.
1: Well, I want to work backwards with some of the players. We're going to get to the MVP in Badmadi. We'll talk about uh, Lexi Piteus and Jenny Hermoso, of course. But working backwards, the players that came off the bench in this match, in particular, the, really the one time I got choked up, the only time I got, again, really like, really emotional and choked up was watching Melanie Serrano celebrate this trophy. She had said before that she didn't want to retire until she helped Barcelona win the Champions League. And sure, she's the bench player now coming off. Uh, well, I mean, she did still occasionally play, got the occasional goal this season as the backup to Leila, the left-back spot. But Serrano, for 17 seasons giving everything she could to the Femini program, starting with the program when they were not professionals, when they didn't have their own stadium, when they were an afterthought, a complete afterthought, and then sticking with it and building this program up and up and up and up, going even back to the 20 what was 2012-2013 season, when both Melanie and Alexei Piteas in one of her first seasons at the, for the first team were utterly dominated by Arsenal and blown off the pitch, showing back then that Barca were just way behind in the women's game same thing, Vicky Lasada. Yes, she had her best years, you'd have to say, with Arsenal. But she was with Barcelona in 2003, back when, again, this program was still in its infancy. And for them to see this out, for Vicky Lasada to be the captain, holding that trophy with the arms, ba- with the arms, ba- uh, the arm band, There we go. That uh, I mean, yeah, it's those are the sights and those are the things that I'm going to most remember. Because yes, it was the talented players and the starters that won this match because it was four nothing before 35 minutes. But that said, this was a complete buy-in, a team effort. And to me, it continues to be the most impressive thing in this victory that the Serrano, who could have been starters elsewhere, they bought in uh, Asit Aswala, who is the, the best thing that African football uh, on the female side of things has ever produced. Again, four-time African player of the year. She is the Didier Drogba of the African continent, uh, continent even more so because Didier Drogba at least has him Eto and other contemporaries and Aswala being the first uh, African female to win the Champions League. That's a big deal. And they all decide to come off the bench for Barcelona and for Luis Cortez to be able to navigate that locker room, to have those stars, to have those established players and to figure out, I mean, how just how you deal with the egos. I mean, it's its not that just on the female side of the game, it's not that they don't have, right? They have egos too. It's just like the men's team where there are big personalities and it's difficult because everybody wants to see that field. So for the, the buy-in of those veteran players... Uh, yes, there are young players that always were celebrating. I saw Katha Cole and Jenna uh, Fernandez, who are together, not even 40 years old, cutting down the net like Gerard Piquet at the Champions League final. So that was a good sight. But as far as the, we'll say the older players, the veterans in the squad, it's a testament to them. And that's why I kind of want to work backwards as to who came off the bench. And then we can move our way into those who are going to get the headlines and the star players.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think you make an excellent point in that I think as well, what, what this shows is it shows the love for the club and also shows the belief from the players' perspective in Luis Cortes as a manager and also in the fact that, hey, we might be starters elsewhere if we moved out of Barcelona, but this club means so much to both to us as, a, as players. And we also have a role to play at this club. Because even if you come off the bench, Vicky Lozada came off the bench, but she's still the main captain of the team. She still has a role to play and she's still very much... Uh, you know, a big part of that locker room. And if you get, if you, you know, if you don't have that sort of, of shall we say, well, not really a backup, but if you don't have that sort of backing in the locker room, aside from maybe Alexia, you kind of lose a bit. Um, and, I, and I think having these types of players in the locker room, and, and again, for Luis Cortes to be able to manage this so, so well, and we've talked about this so often, both in Barcelona and outside of Barcelona. I remember um, when uh, uh, when Neymar moved to Paris Saint-Germain, a lot of people were talking about how is he going to be able to, you uh, you know, being in the same locker room as a Cavani and as, you know, a Kylian Mbappe and, and all these players. And I think the same thing goes for women's football. As you said, they also, you know, these are players that know what they're capable of and thus will have egos from time to time and that will show. And for Luis Cortez to be able to manage that so well, to have players on your bench that are willing to play and that are going to go out there even in the last 10 minutes and give it their all and give 110% on that pitch, knowing the game is virtually over with a 4-0 scoreline that is one of the biggest achievements i think of this season for luis cortez is to be able to manage that so so well and have players like serrano and losada to come off this bench and do so well and play with this much guile and drive and energy and you know you can see the passion you can see you can see that on their faces after the game as well how much it meant even though that maybe their part compared to an aitana or compared to a marta was maybe somewhat minimal but it still means so much because they still had an integral part even though they came off the bench
1: Yeah, you mentioned Martha Torajon. She's had some good things that I I, I do want people to look up. She's posing with the the trophy. Uh, it wasn't her birthday, but in her birthday suit, there was, a, there was a good photo of that with her celebrating with the trophy. And she and Jenny Hermosa were also the two that made the Confetti Angels after. So there were uh, certainly scenes with Martha Torehan enjoying her time celebrating with the trophy right after. Yeah, before we again, we move on to the basically how it happened. So we haven't actually talked about the match yet. And before we get there, I want to put a ribbon on the Chelsea women's season because there is certainly a belief that very much, as, as I said going into this match, that they were mirror images of each other, the way they played, the success they've had this season, the star players and the roles that they even have, as far as Harder matching up Jenny Hermoso and then Frank Kirby and Lecky Martin slash Mariana, and on the other side, you had Sam Kerr doing a little bit more than what Caroline Graham Hansen does on that right wing, but all that said... With the mirror image that they have, you almost get the sense that Chelsea is now just two years behind, even though this program with Emma Hayes began in 2012 when she was hired. And I think they've had a little bit more financial investment than Barca have even had in the last five, six years. Yet to get to this point, this is their first Champions League final. So you get the sense that you can almost track it that Chelsea women, I think, are starting their journey of redemption in the way that Barca had their two-year journey of redemption this is where the Chelsea women Emma Hayes they go back to the table in having lost the largest margin of victory for all of seven of ten of eleven titles rather that Lyon has won they've never beat a team by four goals like this the closest was Barcelona losing 4-1 and that did happen I believe on two or three other occasions a three-goal differential on closer inspection yesterday Omar we were breaking this down tactically and I guess it's a good way to kind of speak about the Barcelona defense and get our way into the starting lineup uh, by dipping our toes into the defense because Kirby, who we felt was completely marked out of the game, she did have 43 touches, but they weren't really important touches because Mappy Leon and Layla were kind of shading her to places on the field where she doesn't usually operate and doesn't can't cause any damage. She's not combining well with Harder. She's not combining well with Sam Kerr. And believe it or not, for all the chances that Harder and Kerr had, Kerr only touched the ball 28 times and Harder only touched it 31 times. So again, Kirby having touched it 43 times was... I mean, almost double what Current touched it. Uh, and then behind them in Melanie LaPulse, who is usually one of the highest players on the field as far as getting possession, putting her foot on the ball and dictating play. She really struggled. The own goal, committing the penalty. She was dribbled past three times. And those are marks you just don't see for Melanie LaPulse. And so obviously it's a, it was a dastardly uh, match for her. But yeah, it's, it's just so much credit to that backline for Barcelona on how they figured out and shut down, completely shut down with that counterpress, the movement of-
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Kelsey's front three.
2: Yeah, and I mean, again, I, th- I think I think you, you summarize it quite well because when you look at Kirby, Harder, and Kerr, these are players that have scored, from what I recall, around fifty goals just in league between the three of them. That's not an easy force to stop. And we know Frank Kirby can be creative. We saw Sam Care, uh, Sam Care being creative as well. Harder is a lethal finisher, and when you have that that type of front three, it's easy. For any defense to go, okay, we're probably not going to, we're going to struggle this game, right? But you look at Barca's defense, and I think, as you said, I think Mapilion and Leila did such a a good job in making sure that whenever Kirby got the ball, it wasn't in an advanced position. So they made sure to kind of push her back towards the Chelsea midfield and make sure that she was forced to pass it back or pass it inside. They'd have to try and circulate the ball again, and Kirby wouldn't really see the ball for for a little while. Um, Same thing with Sam Kerr. I mean, yes, she got a cross in. I believe she also had a chance. But she wasn't able to do too much because on that, on that side, Marta and Patri, who I've, I've praised to the high heavens, and I'll continue to praise her because I think, I think her performance was excellent filling in in defense for uh, the Pereira. That side as well, Harder did not see too much of the ball. And when she did, I think she had, from what I recall, two to three chances, clear-cut chances, and that's it. And one of them was a header that went over the bar. So, I mean, excellent play by the Barcelona defense to contain them and press as a unit and move as a unit because it's quite often easy in the, defensive game, in the defensive part of the game to kind of get lost in, okay, well, I have to track this person or this player. And then, okay, they've moved that way. And then so all of a sudden, that movement is going to drag you out of position and you're going to confuse your fellow center back or your fellow fullback. But that wasn't the case because there was so much communication in that defense and so many of these very strong quality defenders in that Barca Femini lineup taking charge and taking the initiative to say, okay, I'm going to press, you're going to stay, and so on and so forth. And to see that play to such a high level, to the point where they were able to neutralize Harder, Kirby, and Sam Kerr, to the point where Sam Kerr had to be substituted because they just realized, well, she's not going to be able to do too much this game. Might as well get a, get a substitution on a pair of fresh legs. And that didn't help too much either. So I mean, full credit to the Barca defense. That was, I mean, that's a tough task and they were definitely up for it.
1: Well, it was really telling to me, and for those who've been listening a few weeks ago I did the uh, interview I did with Chantal Reyes, that the thing that Barca Femini wanted to work on more than anything uh, uh, from two years ago against Lyon, they increased the intensity of their training. The physicality of training increased to, to huge degrees. And I think the biggest compliment that I heard from Emma Hayes was that she was surprised and almost taken aback by the physicality of Barcelona. And for Barcelona to take what was a weakness as to why they said, the players said that they were completely outmuscled. They were uh, physically just, uh, Lyon were dominant two years ago. And they took that and they turned that into in more intense training sessions the they hit the weight room more and they decided to just be overall just a more physical team and a more powerful team and to dominate it, it, almost impose your will upon an opponent because you, because you can and for Emma Hayes to say hey you know we have this reputation and it was and it was interesting too because it, it's it's revisionist history now that Barcelona dominated for nothing but it was really telling that a lot of the Barcelona players whether they were retweeting what Sam Kerr had said two years ago about how uh, about how she just thought that oh we could do this against against Lyon and the Barca B are you know they're not they're not anything for losing to Lyon by that margin basically calling them weak and now you fast forward and yeah it's almost revisionist history that Barca were this dominant in this match but it's really telling that they took what was a weakness and turned it into a strength and even the numbers dictate that Barca 430 completed passes. They were just 2 of 11 on crosses, but they didn't really need that because they won more duels. They won the second balls. And the big difference too is they were 12 of 19 on dribbles. And a lot of the time, it wasn't even that Jessica Carter or Charles on the other side were getting beat for pace by Martins and uh, Hansen. They were just getting dribbled past. They were getting physically I mean, even if they were in the right position, and Hansen did this to Carter more than anything else, where Carter would be in the right position, it even leads to the, what, the, the fourth goal, the, the second goal and the fourth goal, right, the second goal that leads to the penalty, and then the fourth goal, so Carter had good positioning, and she was able to box her out for that being Hansen for a little bit. But the Hanson was just more physical. It wasn't a foul. She just shoulder to shoulder, got past her, and got back on the ball. And so Barcelona being 12 of 19 on dribbles compared to just 3 of 8 for Chelsea, big difference. And two, that defense has gotten more physical too. 19 to 5 Barca on clearances. That was, again, the big difference. That's why Barca scored four of their shots that were on target, found the back of the net. So, and I think, too, you have to say the second half. The life was out of that game. Barcelona probably could have had more shots on target, but, I mean, they could feel it. All they had to do was finish out this game, uh, and they continued to be physical. And to to lead that line, yes, Mappy Leon deserves credit, but you were talking yesterday about Sandra Panos, and she deserves a ton of praise, too. She
2: does. She does. And I think, I mean, I remember we're talking about this as well. The first half, at least in the start of it, she wasn't really called on too much. I mean, yes, there were a few chances here and there, but nothing that was too dangerous for for Sandra Panos. And then in the second half, because Barca, I think, with that four 0 lead, I mean, it's very natural. It's not to say that oh they did the wrong thing, but it's very natural to kind of lift your foot off the gas a bit. Be okay. We don't have to press for the rest for the next forty five minutes all the time. You can kind of give and go, give and go. And I think that's also why Juliano uh, came back into the game, and we saw a lot more of her on the ball for Chelsea, yeah, and I agree with that. also showed a bit more on the ball too. Um, But I think Sandra Panios was very, very good, both in her distribution, which I think is something she's not – I mean, I think she deserves more credit for that because her distribution was excellent, whether that was a short pass or going for the long pass. And sometimes that long pass would not necessarily go to who she was aiming for, but that's also okay because sometimes you, you just want to disorganize the opponent. You don't necessarily want to give the ball to your Caroline Graham Hansen. You just want to make sure that their midfield gets disorganized. So when you get the ball back, you can just hit on the counter. And that's something that, that Barts are really good at in the second half, too. So I think Panos ha- did really, really well when she was called upon. And I think having her being this vocal shot stopper behind you and you know she's going to be, she's going to save the shots. And she did. That just gives that, that much more of a sense of security for this back line that, that partly consisted of Patri, who really doesn't play center back. Nope. And as was said yesterday, might be for the future you known as a center back uh, based on her performance last night. But she's a midfielder and she came in to fill in as a center back and she did really, really well too. And I think part of that also, again, credit to Sandra Panos, because when you have that vocal of a keeper and that confident of a keeper, that makes you play so much better as a defender.
1: Yeah, and the good news is Panos, who with her five saves, three saves from inside the box yesterday, has renewed. So she will be the goalkeeper for a while. And her backups are young players. So Gemma Font and Kata they again are combined what is it 37 years old combined <laughs> 38 years old combined so they are her backups and there's a 17 year old as well coming up through the ranks and Sandra Panos in front of them Mappy Leon Patrick as you mentioned Marta Torajón was not only getting forward but also keeping Sam Kerr pretty in check and on the other side with Leila dealing with Fran Kirby and the movement of Harder then we move ahead there are four players I think left to talk about right we have not really spoken about Jenny Homoso, Hamraoui Alexia Putellas and Aitana so I'm gonna let you go first on on Hamraoui and then obviously you know I want to talk about the other three so I'm gonna let you go first on Hamraoui because you you were calling out the fact that while earlier in the year she had had a little bit of there was a pushback that Patri became the starter over her even though Patri's only 23 and Hamraoui just didn't seem to be at her best she is she's not as clean on the ball as the rest of those midfielders yet yesterday she had an all-time performance and kind of made all of us eat crow
2: yeah yeah and I mean again as you said, Hamraoui yesterday I think the the most the thing that really well blew me away in a sense it really made me made me happy for her is how well she played in that holding midfielder spot because usually she is a bit more further she likes to be further up the pitch at times. But yesterday we saw her playing this holding midfielder spot and she did that so so well because what you have to deal with and I mean again we saw how dynamic G can be in Chelsea's midfield. And Hamraoui every time G came came towards her or whether that was Ingle or Leopold was then taken off after uh, conceding the goal and the, pe- uh, the only goal and the penalty. Harawi was there as they uh, just set up the roadblock and made sure they didn't get past her time and time and time again. And on top of that, her distribution of the ball was excellent. Whether I mean, I saw, I, I noticed it multiple times where, She got the ball, and maybe the pass was on to send through Aliaki Martins down the wing or Kellen graham Hansen. but instead she thought, no, let me take the tempo out of the game. Let's tire Chelsea out a bit, pass it back, circulate around the defense. And again, the defense were very, very comfortable with the ball too. And I have some points I want to say about Marta and Layla as well later, but I think Hamraoui's influence in that midfield, it's an understatement to say that she was integral because she was so, so important in the defensive end, in the attacking end, whether that was pinging long balls through it, whether that was just, you know, passing it laterally. And I mean, I think she was one of the one of the main reasons why Barca Femini got that. I mean, that's the reason they dominated in midfield. She was definitely one of the main reasons for that.
1: Well, let's do Leila and Marta now. I mean, please. Yeah. I mean, the, the fullbacks, they were the difference, right? The fullbacks for Chelsea struggled. The fullbacks for Barcelona were solid. It's not as simple as that, though.
2: No, no, it's, it's really not. I mean, again, we were talking about this as well. Charles and Carter are quality, quality left backs. Yes, one of them is usually a midfielder. The other one is usually tw- is, is 21 years old. So she's also a
1: forward. Yeah, Charles, it, further inspection, she played forward for Liverpool. So kind of being asked to play at a position and Anderson was not really fully fit for this one. So the question is, if Joe Anderson was able to go, I mean, it might have been a different final, but I'm not sure about that. <laughs> Even if you upgrade one spot, I'm not sure this would have been uh, too much different, but. Yes.
2: No, you're right. You're right. And I mean, I think, again, like when, you, when you're saying, when you're putting up Marta against Charles and Carter against Leila, I think one of the main differences was that for Barca, they managed to make sure that Charles and Carter did not push up. They had them pinned back all the time. When you have them pinned back and you have players as, as technically skilled as Carolyn Graham Hansen and Lieke Martins coming at you with the ball, whether that was them or whether that was not, nah, that's gonna like that, that is not easy to handle as a defender. And then on the other side for Barca, you had Marta Torrejon uh, and, and Leila. And, and they were so good in not just defending, because we've, we've talked about that, they were very good at keeping Kirby and Kerr quiet, but also in attacking, whether that was offering for the overlap or just opening up that half space, giving an option for whether it was Hamrani or, or, or uh, Hamraoui or Aitana. And they did that so well. They did that so well to make sure Barca Femini in the midfield always had a passing option. Even if that meant going to Layla and going back to Sandra Panos and have her, because she had a bit more of a of a you know a better look yeah. uh, from that position, or whether that was to pass it down the line to Lakey Martin, send her through, which we saw quite a couple of times. So I think their positioning as well as their willingness to go forward without compromising the defense, because mm-hmm. obviously when you go forward as a fullback, you kind of leave that gap behind you. And I think again, credit to Patria and, and Macielion for covering that so well, and the communication between the fullbacks and their respective centerbacks was was key. It was key, and it was yep. one of the things that really made Barcelona Femini stand out in defense, I think.
1: Yeah, that was the big fear coming into this match, that not only did Barcelona not have the proper competition in Spain to push them and galvanize them to be able to keep up that intensity, but the question was going to be, with Barcelona Femini, when they've been at their worst this season or when they have struggled for a team that is undefeated in the league, they still have eight... Eight goal. I mean, eight games left for basically Jenny Hermoso to try to win the Golden Boot in Spain. But uh, other than that, yeah, I mean, they dominated so unequivocally in Spain that the question was, could they raise their intensity to that level uh, of what is required of a Champions League? In the same regard, they're always good with the ball, and they're always good when they're on their press. But when they try to just hold the ball, or when they try to sit back and try to defend, that's when it doesn't really work out. Yet we did see them succeed in that manner not as much as maybe Chelsea would have but the fear was that Chelsea could play with the ball without the ball and Barcelona need the ball but even without the ball as you mentioned they were so patient and I also think I mean it's a cascading effect that one goal two goals three goals the more goals up the more patient you can be the more in possession the more in control of the game you have so that certainly plays a big part and that own goal as we said changed everything now at this point, I think we all knew what was coming. It took me too long to get to the vice captain. And wearing the armband was Alexi Puteas and Aitayan Badmati, as well as Jenny Hermoso. Because all three were even better than I thought they were. I argued that Alexi Puteas could have been the woman of the match. Well, she might have been. But then on second viewing, Aitana, she was even better than I w- thought she was. And Jenny Hermoso made it all click. So yeah, the reason we're talking about this at the moment, I, I think I wanted to almost wait for these three at the end. Because with Alexi Puteas... In her 71 minutes played, she had 57 touches, one goal, two shots, one on target, three key passes, three of four on accurate long balls, three of three on her successful dribbles, seven of nine on duels one and two tackles. It's complete. It's comprehensive. And I think that third goal, as much as the own goal on the PK... I think a lot of people, especially because it's Barcelona, they had a lot less written about them than Chelsea did, especially in English. This podcast is in English. So most of the previews I read were from the Chelsea side of things as to why Chelsea were probably going to win this match. And even if Barcelona were going to win, they just called in this unknown dominant force from Spain because nobody watches the Primera division on grainy on either grainy feeds or on Barca TV, right? People just... That, the layman doesn't watch that because it's on Barca TV. So I... I the experts hadn't really seen the feminine and they didn't understand just how fluid that front attack could be. And so that third goal that Aitana Badmati scores, and I think one of the reasons he was the MVP of this game too, is that is indicative of how dominant Barcelona were. As much as the other two goals and even the fourth goal with Graham Hansen, uh, where she kind of just powered it in, Leckie Martin's doing her job, as much as those goals were about the fact that Barcelona uh, basically delivered the knockout punch, sure, that third goal It it embolized everything that Barca had built and why they were more fluid, why they were more controlled, and why that front three of Harder, Kirby, and Kerr and their movement, they just were second best to Alexi Buteas, Aitana, uh, and then Jenny Hermoso. So, what Jenny Hermosa was doing, even from the first goal and the second goal, she kept dropping deep, and that meant Ericsson was completely out of position. So, when Jenny drops deep to control, she, I mean, not only was she dropping deep and looking for a some other player in a, with a diagonal ball or trying to turn, which he did a few times and even in that first half that Erickson could have been better, Jenny was also looking for the foul. So no matter what, whether she held it up and got the foul, whether she held the ball up and looked for a, a, another teammate. So on that third goal, when, when she picks the ball up and then she passes it right back to Alexi Bouteas, looking for the one-two, as you mentioned on on, on, the, on the live stream, that Aitana recognizes that and Banat, Bamani moves right into that spacing. that's It's, it's third-man football. So it's, it seems so simple on the replays, but those spaces and that recognition to understand in a second, in a second, in a second, we're so used to. And all the previews told you that Fran Kirby, Sam Kerr, this is exactly what they do with harder dropping deep. But look at Barcelona and their midfield. I mean, even with Alexi Bateas, was she the number 10? There were times when she was farther up the field than Jenny Hermoso. Was Jenny Hermoso the number 10? No. That is what a false nine is, right? And going back to the when Messi... When, when we're talking about false nine for Barcelona, you think about Messi. And I think in modern football, a false nine has basically become a midfielder that can also score goals and be an attacker. Like a, a, I think of a Kai Havertz for actually Chelsea's men. But Jenny Hamoso is a goal scorer. She could potentially be the, the golden boot in all of Europe. She winds up joint top scorer in the competition, even though she didn't score in the final. And she is a forward who happens to also be able to play the number 10 role. And that allows you to get your midfielders, Alexi Buteyas and Aitana, who also have a nose for the goal, to get in there. So the final thing before I, I toss it back to you, Omar, to, to speak poetic about Alexia and, and Jenny and Aitana. Aitana's stats here, she was a player of the match. As much as I fought for Jenny and Alexi Buteyas or Leckie, uh, Martins, or Hansen, one goal, 76 touches, 52 of 56 passes for 93% pac- passing accuracy in a Champions League final. One key pass, one of one long ball, one of three successful dribbles, seven of 12 duels won. Aitana, you want to talk about physicality? She's not the biggest player in the world. Seven of 12 duels won. Three tackles, one interception, and one block shot. That is why she was the MVP. Somebody knew more than we did as they were watching, looking at the numbers. Aitana Bonmati is just 23 years old. So is this the biggest moment? Is this the top of the mountain? Is this her apex mountain in her career? Maybe, maybe this is her peak at 23, but of what she's shown that she was capable of in a Champions League final, my goodness, does that make me excited for the future?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's <gasps> again, you, you mentioned the stats and it's, it's even better than what I thought, you know, yeah. because like, we watched the game in, in real time and, and we, and we, t- and we spoke about it. And when you do that, you kind of miss out on the statistical aspect of it that you can then analyze later. Um, and, and I mean, you look at Aitana's numbers, I think, show exactly how just how good she was uh, last night. And I think, again, as you said, the third goal for me, the movement of Alexia, the, the you know, the recognition uh, from Alexia to make to, to get that ball from Jenny. And the logical solution, as, as we spoke about, would be to just pass it back to Jenny because she was making that run. But Jenny instinctively knew that, yes, I'll make that run. Maybe I'll get it back. But if I don't, I'll drag the defender with me out of position because she saw Aitana was making that run into the uh, into the box. And again, as you said, the brilliant anticipation by Aitana Bonmari to make sure that she gets into that position at the exact right time, gets the ball, and on the fly dispatches it into the back of the net. Uh, it was a sumptuous finish as well. It wasn't a lucky goal. It wasn't one where she just got to it. It was perfectly calculated. And I think that goal really showed Th- this is why Barca Femini were better than Chelsea. As you said, I think this goal really showed it because the ability to play like that with a midfielder, a striker, turn false nine, turn striker, turn midfielder, and then Aitana as well. Not to mention that the movement of fieke Martins and the movement of Caroline Graham Hansen kind of made the fullback switch off a bit because they had to focus on her, so they couldn't track, uh, they couldn't be tracking uh, Aitana. And then on the, same, on the same side of that, you had Jenny being tracked as well as that pressure that was being put on Alexia. So... When you get to that position, I kind of just spotted that brilliantly and the anticipation and the, just being clever enough to say, OK, I, I see that run. I'm going to make it even if I don't get the ball, Jenny might get it back and to have that sort of self selflessness between the players. Right. Because in football, especially, I mean, on the men's side, more than anything, I think you see tendencies with players that are really, really good. And they're playing with teammates that are really, really good. But because they have this sort of I don't know, maybe a God, sort of God complex. Sort of, I want to be the star of this team. Yeah. So if I'm not going to get the ball, why would I make the run? I'm not going to waste my energy, right? So in in some positions, you'll see a midfielder take the ball. He wants to pass it. The striker isn't making the run because he sees the winger making the run. He won't get the ball. So he's not going to drag the defender with him. He's just going to stay. And... That sort of mentality is the exact opposite of what we have here with Barca Femini. And that sort of selflessness in the midfield as well to track back. Hey, maybe Hamraoui lost the ball, but that doesn't mean she's the only one that should track back. No, Aitana is tracking back. Alexia is tracking back. Uh, Leila is pinching in. Mapi Leon is covering the, the, the space behind her. That sort of tactical awareness from this team and the mentality that Luis Cortez has managed to instill in this team with a lot of really, really big names in, 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 in the world of football for, for mm-hmm. the women's side is just astounding and i think that third goal really speaks volumes of how just how good barca Mm -hmm. femini were last night because to score that goal against this solid a defense and again as we spoke about yesterday charles and carter are not they're not new faces to the chelsea side they haven't just come in and, and been playing that they charles has been playing as a fullback for the whole season and carter as well and to have be able to exploit that defense in such a clever way with such quick intricate passing that speaks a lot about how just how much the training sessions have been more intense, how mm-hmm. intricate the passing has been, how much the focus has been on we have to be physical on and off the ball without committing the foul, without playing nasty football, which, again, I think part of the reason why last night's game was so beautiful to watch and such a joy to watch was because there weren't any nasty challenges, and at least not with malicious intent. It wasn't one of those muddy games. It was one of those games where both teams came in, wanted to play football yep. and both teams, I mean, for Barca Femini, as you said, people thought that, well, Chelsea can play without the ball. Barca can't. But Barca completely neutralized them without the ball. And the possession stats were also quite close, from what I recall at least, in the 50% region Mm -hmm. um, for each side. And so (laughs) when you consider that and then you look at the statement "If Barca can only play with the ball, well, that was proven to be completely false last night against one of the biggest oppositions in world football.
1: Yep, yeah, putting a bow on this. They unfortunately did lose the Spanish Super Cup earlier this year, so they can't win the quadruple. They still, even though they won last year's Copa del Reyna this year, they still have to compete in that competition, and they still have eight league matches left, which is uh, incredible that they already wrapped it up. It's pretty absurd, but also they scored 128 goals and conceded just five in the league, so it's no surprise <laughs> that they'd wrapped that up already. Uh, again, and looking to the future, Luis Cortez is 34 years old, Patri is 23, Alexi Ruteis is 27, you have uh, Aitana, who I mentioned, is 23, they are still a relatively young squad, and certainly even the experienced players like a Jenny Hermoso, like a Martha Torrejon, they still have plenty left in the tanks. Under Panos is still just 29 or 27 or whatever it may be. So yes, they're still a young squad getting better, and I hope people can—you have time to look at them, right? At the uh, It's not like this—as much as they celebrated this, as much as they're already done with the league, they still have matches for people to actually view and enjoy. And I think that's what it comes down to, right, that we enjoyed watching that final, that's I think that's the biggest compliment not even the biggest compliment, but the, the best compliment I can give to our viewing experience that we I just enjoyed that match. I, I fullheartedly enjoyed watching Barcelona play. And I, I think that again is an unfortunate transition to the men, because the one accomplishment that the men had yesterday, Omar, is that now FC Barcelona are the first team to ever win the men's and the women's Champions League. Unfortunately, the men didn't win the Champions League yesterday. It was a while ago before they win. Yesterday, instead, they lost 2-1 to Celta de Vigo. Looking at the comments, looking at the reactions, uh, watching what our listeners and how they were responding... I don't think it's necessary for us to talk about that match. I, I don't think, as I usually do tactically break things down, I'm not sure there's too much more to say. I think there were mistakes that were made, whether Ter Stegen and PK were flat-footed on Santi Mina's, what was it, hit the first shot or the second shot or whatever it may be. So it, regardless of how it happened, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Messi was good, scored his 30th goal of the season. Incredible that Messi... Uh, once more, gets to 30 goals on the year, but I think the only real story, and this is how we wrap up our show today, is to talk about Ronald Kuman because after the Copa del Rey was won, it felt like, as I spoke about last week with Rory, uh with Rory on the on the first show of the week, that Ronald Kuman. Winning the Copa del Rey in a transition year, getting Messi to buy in, being, I think, having the best season he's ever had as a captain, not just his play, but just as a leader. So to, to basically get this team to buy in after the shambles that it was in with Messi wanting to leave the club, being in transition, starting all these young players, there's so many compliments we have to give to Ronald Koeman. But now the rest the, the end of the season, when the matches mattered, when things were on the line, he wins one of their final five matches. So if the Copa del Rey was just enough for him to keep his job, maybe he's lost it once again. But I think, Omar, I mean, again, I'll basically give you the final word on this, is that for Ronald Koeman, I think the question not only comes down to, was he good enough? I I don't don't think the answer is, I think the answer was, was he good enough? Yes. Will he be good enough? I think that's what the question is, right? That we don't know if he's the man to take Barston to the next, I mean, basically back to Champions League finals. Uh, Then the question becomes, who replaces him? Because you really only hear as much as people would love Garcia Pimienta, and I know the movement for Garcia Pimienta is there, but you just—it's—it's it's almost unprecedented. And by almost, I mean Pep Guardiola. But aside from Guardiola, it's almost unprecedented for to go from FC Barcelona's academy up to the first team. So that leaves one name, and one name only—the man who is basically serving as Qatar's sponsor for the 2022 World Cup. The man who is uh, again—he's on those promotion tours. He's succeeding at El Sad, but. It's Xavi Hernandez. And I don't know if this is the moment because of everything else going around involved, involved in the background. And if you can't get Xavi, then is there another manager out there? And I mean, I, Omar, I mean, you might even want to keep Coleman. I'd like to hear it.
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing with Ronald Koman is, as you said, I think it's very important to remember that this is a man that that's just, he's just come in. He's barely had a transfer window to work with. And I think it's similar to what we saw with Kika Setien, with the exception that Setien was out the door. Uh, as as soon as as soon as was possible at the time, of course, the the heartbreaking A two defeat was kind of the cherry on top for his time in Barcelona. Um, but I think with Ronald Koeman, I know a lot of people are very critical of him and critical of his tactics. But I think, like, if you really sit down and you consider what's been done with Barcelona and what Barcelona has been through both as a club, as an institution, as a team with Messi at at first wanting to leave and speaking publicly out about it with the presidential elections taking place mid-season after the board resigned, all that stuff, all that chaos to be able to still control your team and get them from Barca were eighth in the league at one point to get them from that point in the season, which yes, it was a long time ago, but to get them from eighth to competing for the title and even if Barca don't win the title which now mathematically is virtually impossible but even if Barca wind up getting second or third for me that's still a success because given what Barca have been through this season it is a very very difficult job to maintain a team that has a winning spirit and we saw a lot of comebacks where in the past we've seen the Liverpool come we've seen Liverpool come back we've seen Roma come back and to see that from Barcelona doing that now, uh, yes, it was against Granada, but it was still an important comeback because Granada, contrary to popular belief, are not an easy team to face.
1: And you we're and talking about, the well, I don't even, it's contrary to popular belief, Barcelona lost the league to them. I mean, that's the match yes. that winds up being the nail in the coffin. You're yes. speaking about the Copa del Rey one when it was good vibes and good feelings yes. in the comeback, yes. right? I just want to make exactly. that very clear for everyone thinking about the Granada. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Match. Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm talking about the, the one in the Copa, of course. And I mean, those comebacks, one of the Copa, we've seen Barca do a bit of some comebacks in the league as well, from being down or being a draw to then winning. And I think to be able to have that mentality, you can only have that mentality for so long, because you also have to remember that, unfortunately, we are in a situation right now where Barca do not have Ansu Fati, they do not have Felipe Coutinho, which... I don't care how much, I don't care how much people don't like Coutinho and don't think he's a good fit that's still an extra man you can put on the on, on the pitch right Ansu Fati has been integ- he's been integral to Barca's success last season and he was very good at the start of this season. He's been a loss, too. Dembele has still been finding his form, and his season hasn't been great. It's been good, I think, especially recently. He's, it seems like he's finally finding his footing, as we saw against Celta up until the point where he got subbed off and in recent games, too. Griezmann is also finding his form. Having all these things happen during a transition season and making that because a lot of people were saying Griezmann is never going to fit in Barcelona. He's It's not working out. It's been a year. He can't pass it to Messi, and he keeps passing it to Messi, or he doesn't pass it to Messi. And all these types of ideas and thoughts that people were having about Griezmann, Koeman just put those in the mud and made Griezmann play well. He's been combining with Messi. You can see that he has a connection with Dembele when Dembele is on the pitch. All these small things, while still introducing players like Eli Moriba. I know people don't like his management of Ricky Puj, but he's also, he, got, he gave him 45 minutes yesterday, and I think... I do think it's a matter of time before Ricky Pustoli gets into this first team, but you also have a lot of players on the other side too. You've got Pedri who's been excellent. how do you take him off?
1: Well, it sounds like to me though, Omar, it sounds like you're saying, give him second season. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. I mean, I think what it comes down to and why I think a little bit, again, my gut says that it's not going to be the case because it's going to come down to what his vision is for this team through a transfer window, because that's, I think the philosophy and the argument that, the factor of Juan Laporta kind of adds to this. If this was still the former regime, I would say that he'll probably get a second season, no doubt. He'll also get one or two transfers that he's asking for. And for all those who are trying to make a huge transfer list of those getting out of the club, I'm going to try to break that down on YouTube. We'll talk about that on future shows. But your list is too long. I promise you that. Look at look at world football. Look at markets. Look at the way that players, even from summer to summer, are transferred in and out. Four to five is the most you're going to get. So I'd say everybody shorten their list a bit. And be judicial about who you think needs to be out. Hashtag whoever out. Uh, make that list a little smaller. That said, I mean, if, if the vision for Ronald Kuman is, hey, I want XYZ players to come into this club, but Laporta and that board say, hey, Barcelona have a vision, regardless of who the manager is. We have a vision for the kind of players we want in this team and the team that we want to see on the field. And if Kuman's vision doesn't equal the vision of Juan Laporta, then I think the job that he's done in now the last few weeks, plus... I know he was able to fix everything coming till January, but over the course of his 20 year managerial career, again, I spoke about a lot last year, I mean, last week, that he has never showed that he could take that step up. He has always been that B manager that can turn your team into a good squad. He can play good football. They can play well. But whether it was Everton, whether it was Southampton, I, I mean, even with the Netherlands national team, it was that he did have success, but he didn't capture the trophy he didn't have the most success that you could have so who is a manager if it's not Kuman because he has never shown in 20 years to be the manager to grab all those trophies and the Copa del Rey is something to be to be proud of yes but is Barcelona a side like Athletic Club that are going to be fighting for that Copa del Rey final or they are going to club again that's going to say hey we can handle both winning La Liga and winning the Champions League and history has not dictated has not been kind to Ronald Kuman to say that he's the manager for that job and so in the second season I don't think it even comes down to the job he's done. It comes down to his beliefs about where the club needs to go in the future. And if that vision does not connect with the one that Laporta and this board, it's a cop-out for me. It is. I'm not saying yes or no whether he should continue on. I'm saying I don't think it actually matters as to the job he's done. Maybe the job in the last three weeks or so when Barca kind of let that La Liga trophy slip away. Because Letico Madrid and Real Madrid were giving it to Barcelona and they couldn't seize it. And I'm wondering behind the scenes if that didn't also rub the board in the port the wrong way. And so a credit to Kuman. The good news is, I think, even if he gets out now, I think he gets out with his reputation still intact. For, for 20 years, this is not like Valencia, where, I mean, that was a dark cloud, a shadow of his managerial career. I think if he leaves Barcelona at this moment, I think Barcelona fans will actually see him and view him more fondly than they, than they view many, many other managers, because he did the job he was asked to do, and then he got, then in this in this sense, he would have got out of the way. For the man to potentially take Barcelona to that next step, and I don't even want to ask you if you think Xavi is that guy because I think we're going to continue to parcel through that on future podcasts. But Omar, I want to give you the final word on this. On, far, on as far as recapping the men's season, you and I have been on the live stream on Twitch. It's been a good time all year long. But yeah, I mean, what has your perception been of this this Barcelona team for the first team? Well,
2: I think the first team overall, I think they have done a good job. I mean, obviously, it's sad that the that La Liga, that the La Liga trophy just slipped at the very end and. You know, you, you can blame whoever you want. I think it's a culmination of everything. I think maybe part of it was whether that was the tactics or whether that was the players not being up for it. That's just how a season goes over the course of a season. I think these players mentally are tired of everything that I mean, it's been a long season. It's been a long season on and off the pitch. And I think that sort of is starting to show. And that's completely fair. Um, so I mean, overall, do I think it's been a bad season? No, I think it's been a good transition season into what we hopefully will see as Barca's new era. And whether, that's with, whether that was whether that that's with your Ronald Koeman or with your Xavi Hernandez, I'm, I mean, time will tell. But I think overall, I think it has been a good season. And I think it's it's been a good season to lay the foundation for Barca's first team in future years, especially here in the you know, with with Laporta having come in, he's he's probably got some some things that he wants to tweak and things that he wants to add. And I think now is a good time to do that especially with with everything that's been going on kind of now it's settled a bit the chaos has settled a bit especially after the elections there was no you know chitter chatter about who's going to be the new president that's done that's over yep and now it's time to focus on we've got one more league game against Bar away and then the season is over, and the preseason preparations can begin. You can start to see whether Ansu when he's going to be ready, start to see what to do with Coutinho because he's had a few setbacks with with regards to his recovery, unfortunately. So I think right now, I mean, it's, I, I genuinely do believe this. I genuinely do believe it has been a good season. I think everything considered, this has been as good a season as it comes. Obviously, what a Liga trophy has been would it have been a ch- the cherry on top? Yes, but unfortunately, that's not the case. And I guess for Barca fans, the second best thing would be to see Luis Suarez lift it. Um, rather than your Karim Benzema or your Sergio Ramos so sure. that's what I'm going to end it on I think it's been a good season and I think it lays the foundation for, for something good to come uh, for years to come so yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's it for me
1: well yeah I mean last question then where can people find you now that our Twitch stream is, uh, is ending
2: <laughs> oh yeah um, you can find me on at Omar Hawash BG on Twitter Instagram uh, all that good stuff uh, I have a company called Blogonogram which is a news outlet focusing on Barcelona we've worked with the club a few times you can find that uh, as well so, yeah, you can find me if you want to get in touch with me. Well, I also have a podcast called The Driven Shot, also airing on uh, Blogonogram social platforms. So, yeah, you can pretty much find me on all those platforms and uh, say hi if you want.
1: All right. Well, we'll say hi to Omar wherever you can find him. And I also want to let people give a little update. Yes, where is Frances Tomas? I know you waited all the way to the end of the show. He'll be back in a few weeks. We have some announcements to make for everybody and a few things to talk about. So uh, we got some stuff in the works. But yes, Frances is getting a a much needed break and he'll be back soon enough. Don't worry. But that'll wrap it up for this edition of the Barcelona Podcast. We are on Twitter and Instagram as well at the Barcelona Pod, at Hilton D13 for me. Our closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast. You can ask those questions there. I mean, just answer the questions and you get into that closed Facebook group. And Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciate. You can also listen to this without the ads over on Patreon. It's a little incentive to help support the show financially. We're also on YouTube, as you know, with all those match reviews, and I have a lot of fun stuff planned for the summer. That's the Barça on the Podcast. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to Barça on the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon, and forza Barça.